The moment has arrived. I'm talking about, baby. I think top four to the Super Bowl, man. Super Bowl 50 is his. The Broncos are going to Super Bowl 50. And we are there on Yahoo Sports Radio, live from San Francisco. There will be some Panther silver at the Golden Anniversary Super Bowl. The Carolina Panthers, champions of the NFC, are headed to Super Bowl 50. Yahoo Sports Sports Super Week, Week. live from the site. It was caught. It's a touchdown. The Broncos. They know I'm getting water tonight, too. Panthers. Battling for Lombardi. I'll get the ball. On Yahoo Sports Radio. The new YahooSportsRadio.com. I'll go get the ball tonight. Thanks to our friends at Mahindra taking us to Radio Row for Super Bowl 50. How much y'all charge? And Yahoo Sports Super Week, made possible by Granger. Ain't too much talking to be going on tonight. All about it. Are you ready? It's, it's Yahoo, Yahoo Sports, Sports Super, Super Week. Hey, we're calling the Now live from the Moschione Center in San Francisco, California, this is a special edition of Talk of Fame. Live from the Super Bowl. Now, Ron Borges, Clark Judge, and Rich Gosselin. This is our second annual Talk of Fame Network live from the Super Bowl and from Moscone Center. I'm Clark Judge. I've got Rick Austin with me, Ron Borges, and we've got a special guest, a perfect guest to tee up this first live Talk of Fame Network broadcast from the Moscone Center. It's Kevin Green. And Kevin Green's a Hall of Fame finalist, which is perfect because we've got the Hall of Fame voting coming up on Saturday. But he's also a former Carolina Panther. And, Ron, Carolina, Carolina Panthers, Carolina Panthers are in the Super Bowl. And you know what? He wouldn't remember this. He's also a former San Francisco 49er in 1996. I covered you for the San Jose Mercury News. And he was a productive linebacker then. He's been a productive linebacker for many, many years. Yeah, I hope he is now. But um, he's in he's in the Hall of Fame mix for a good reason. He belongs. And Kevin, uh, thanks for being back with us. Good deal. Um, this is your third visit with us, and we're pleased to have you. Um, how much in the past couple weeks have you thought about what's going to happen Saturday? You're one of the finalists. Your fifth time as a finalist. Now you're on the cusp. You know, I've I've been on the cusp. I thought, you know, the last three to five years. Uh, so it's just kind of slipped through my fingers for one reason or another. And I'm really just, you know, I'm I'm confused about it more than anything. Uh, and I don't understand the process. And I guess that's that's the biggest thing for me. I, I thought it was about you know production and uh, longevity and what you're doing as far as impact on right. the team and so forth. And um, um, but. There's a, there's a lot of criteria there um, for induction that I just, quite frankly, I, I don't understand. So uh, so I have to have a piece about what I was able to accomplish in 15 years, and, and it is what it is, <laughs> and let the chips fall where they may kind of thing. So, Kevin, every, every candidate thinks he's a first ballot guy. When did you come to grips with the fact that it is a process, that it, it doesn't matter when you go in, it's going in? When did you come to grips? Was it after the second year, third year? When? Oh, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think there might have been a couple of years early that I was eligible that, uh, you know, I didn't even make it to the 25 list. And then I was kind of really uh, scratching my head, you know, because I just don't understand the process. And I don't understand anything definitive about the criteria because I've, I've lived my life uh, based on um, – taking the gray area out of things and being definitive as far as success in anything that you do. you got to be all in and all this stuff. Uh, but 
Um, you know, I've kind of seen the way things go, but I, I still have, I still don't understand how. If we're just talking about individual performance and production, and that's the only thing I can logically hang my mind around, is if we're talking about longevity, individual production, performance, and impact, um, you know, I'm 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 pretty good with that because I'm pretty I'm up there pretty high. Yeah. Uh, so I don't understand how somebody I think was a good player, you know, that played less years than I did and didn't quite have the numbers production-wise as I did. They've moved in, you know, before me. I just don't understand. I just, I just don't understand. Not that I'm angry or anything. I'm <laughs> more confused about it than yeah, anything. Right. Yeah, we are too sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And what it would, one of the so, issues for you is you're a defensive player. Yes, sir. More than half the people in of the 295 men in Canton, 52 percent played offense. Yes. When you take away the owners, commissioners, coaches, and stuff, 34 percent played defense. Sure. And look at this year's slate. There are yeah. three defensive players, 12 offensive players on the slate. I mean, defensive players never get a fair shake. But I've always been of the belief if a player belongs in, he'll get in. It may, be, it may take five years, ten years. Jack Butler took 46 years. Dick LeBeau, 32 years. But, no, 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 no. He's, 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 no I, I, he's, right now I think he's on the fast track. But defensive players never get a fair shake. Well, uh, you know what? But but some of us do have measurable statistics right. in production, and and because so much is built around the pass rush now, right. everybody needs pass rushers. That will never change, and it will in, even get it will even increase in the future because of the the pass happy league that the league is transforming in. You know, and uh, into and people are hunting pass rushers. If you can rush the passer, you're going to have a job as long as you stay healthy. So if you look at that and just go, hey, he was a pretty decent pass rusher for 15 years, that then in in and of itself I think is is pretty solid, I think. But you you set the record straight with us last time. You're more than a pass rusher. And and that's what I was going to say. I appreciate that, Clark, because as a 3-4 outside backer, you got to play the run. And you got to be able to drop in coverage. I mean, there's three job descriptions in that outside backer in that 3-4, that Lawrence Taylor guy, right? Right. right. you got to rush like a big defensive end that weighs 285, 295 because you're going against offensive tackles that are 315, 320. you got to play the run hard at the point of attack. And you got to be able to have coverage responsibility and know what you're doing in coverage. Hook curl, curl flat, fire zone concepts, three-receiver hooks, seam flat, all this other stuff. You got to be able to do them all efficiently. So when people see 160 sacks, know this: I took pride in defending the run. That was part of my job. I took pride in dropping in coverage and covering those people in the flat or in those out out and up routes and stuff like that. I took pride in that. That was part of my job. Rushing the passer was one third of my job. Right. That's right. one third of my job. Right. Kevin, you remember your five interceptions? Yes, I do. I, let's see. Uh, two. I got two Warren Moons. One interception. Hall of Fame, Hall Hall of Fame quarterback, yes, right? Uh, and I've got um, I've got a Dan Marino. Uh-huh, okay. Hall of Fame quarterback. Why is this man not getting <laughs> <laughs> And I sacked him. So I crushed them <laughs> well, both. You sacked a lot of guys. <laughs> and uh, and then so that's. Uh, uh, that's three or four. Help me out. Is that that's three. three. And then um, 
Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the Chris Miller? It, no? Maybe. Oh, gosh. Maybe. Chris Jim Chandler? Hart, Chandler? I don't know. You've already, you've already impressed <laughs> yeah. getting three of the five. Yeah. You got 160. <laughs> no, you're five. fine. We're fine. Good. Uh, Sorry. And, and quickly, we got about 30 seconds yes, before the break. Oh, yeah. We're going to go we now. No, we're going to go for a break. Okay. Hey, oh, Kevin, good. we'll do the math when we come back. Okay. okay. But thank you for so much for stopping by with oh, us. Yes, and best yes. of luck to That's you with y'all in candidacy. I know the Bill Pullen says you're a slam dunk. We hope so. I hope so. Thank you. Good luck to you. Come back. And thanks for bringing your family here. We want you on next week. We'll be back with the Talk of the Network after this. Well, we're back at the Moscone Center with our second annual live Talk of Fame broadcast from the Super Bowl. And we were talking to Kevin Green in the last 10 minutes, last segment, and we couldn't do the math. So we brought in somebody. Nervous as a tick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but we couldn't do the math with him, so we brought in somebody who could. No and question. that's the man who signed him in 1996 as the president. CEO of the San Francisco 49ers, who's now actually uh, a local celebrity here as a winemaker with Casa Piena. Is that the correct That's pronunciation? That's the correct Italian it's pronunciation. It's Carmen Policy, who was the 1994 Executive of the Year when the 49ers won the Super Bowl. And, Carmen, I covered you when um, you ran the table in 1994 and then your years before you went to Cleveland. And I want to ask you about Kevin Green quickly. Um, he's on the Hall of Fame shortlist. Do you think he belongs and, and why? Well, I think he belongs. I think he belongs certainly for his performances before he got to the 49ers. And then once he got to us, that performance never, you know, uh, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? It never leveled off. He just was the same intensive team guy, and he made us better. He made us feel good about showing up at practice. He made us feel good about being there on game day. We loved him. We just, the coaches loved him. Ed DeBartolo make you feel good about showing up on game ah. day? <laughs> He's a Hall of Fame. Oh, another, yet too. another candidate hey, you got to talk about. Rick, Ed DeBartolo made us feel good about showing up on game day if we won. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Which you did. Which you did a lot. <laughs> that well, That's a good question, by the way. That's But it was uh, – and he liked Kevin Green. Right. Uh, Kevin Green was Eddie DeBartolo's kind of guy. Yeah. And, and he – and I'll tell you this. Kevin Green had no trouble fitting in. The defensive coaches loved him. Players loved him. They loved his intensity, and and uh, he he was good to have on board. And I liked his hair, <laughs> which he's got, which he's got if you notice. Yeah, <laughs> you know, obviously uh, the shift has gone went on uh, Carmen a couple years ago to a contributor category to take guys like Eddie Barrow out of the mix with with players. Uh, because I think most of us always sort of had a hard time voting for a non-player or over a player. Uh, I just wonder what you thought about that in a general sort of way, and, and do you think it's going to open the door to the Hall of Fame for a lot of deserving guys that otherwise may never have gotten it? Well, Ron, I think you're hitting on a very critical point because it would be hard for me even to justify sitting there and saying, okay, Eddie DeBarlow, great guy. He should be in the Hall of Fame, but hold it. I'm not going to let this player who's been on the field and truly contributed in that direct way to the game into the Hall of Fame because of an owner. I might even think that way if it were a coach. Uh, So I think by creating the contributor status, you've really done a service to the Hall of Fame and you've expanded its breadth and width. And I think that now it's easier for us to start thinking in terms of what are the different types of contributions that can be made to the game that deserve to be honored at the Hall of Fame. And, and, and by, by placing them in a silo, so to speak, 
Right. I think you've done a real justice to the Hall of Fame concept. Carmen, question for you. Uh, one of the criticisms of Eddie, as you know, was the salary evasion, and it did happen on your watch when you were there. How do you get over that if you were on the Hall of Fame panel? Um, if you're on the Hall of Fame panel, what you say is, okay, uh, basically it was a critical time for Eddie. He was tremendously distracted in terms of 1997. That's when everything happened. All the allegations related basically to two players who were old players on our team, under contract, well beyond the remainder of their uh, productive life in the league. Super Bowls are all over, and it was on my watch. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you this. Were I not preoccupied with a campaign in the city of San Francisco to try to get a new stadium done? Right. It would never have happened. Which you won, by the way. Which we won. We did win that election by 1,500 votes. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Last minute. Yeah. And thank God some dead people voted. (laughs) I know. Those votes materialized out of nowhere. According to Hillary Clinton, that's a landslide, 1,500 votes. The other issue is you look at all the owners in the Hall of Fame, the Wellington Mirrors. They did something outside of the building for the benefit of the league. Wellington Mirror revenue sharing. Lamar Hunt started the league. Al Davis is the commissioner. What did Eddie do outside of his building that makes him Hall of Fame worthy? Well, I, and, you're, and Rick, the, the thing about Eddie is in, in so many ways he's effervescent and he's outgoing and he's, he's, he's dr- dramatic and dynamic. In other ways, he's kind of shy. And his approach was, here's what I'm going to do. Carmen, you're going to go to those league meetings and you're going to handle stuff. We're going to talk about it. Tell me what the issues are. Once I decide on how we're going to handle it, you run with it. The same way he handled Walsh, the same way he handled uh, uh, McVeigh and, and, and our personnel department. And when I sat down with him and said, okay, the salary cap is the way we have to go. There's no question about it. Competitive balance in the league. We've got to maintain it. Actually, it works for the best interest of most players in the league, et cetera, et cetera. It works contrary to your way of operating. And I, I just have to tell you, it's what we should do. He says, you are going to hurt us in the process. I said, you're right. He says, all right, go for it. And there were so many situations. Bill Walsh came and, and brought Harry Edwards in. We started dealing, and Walsh was, he was so beyond his time. Brought Harry in to help him deal with that young African-American player coming into the league that was so different than what he had been dealing with at Stanford and otherwise. Eddie sat down with Harry, and it was Eddie and Harry that developed the coaches' uh, program. Minority. Minority program. Eddie said, you're dealing with the players. Let's deal with these coaches. If we're trying to get ahead of the game in terms of the African-American players coming into the game, let's get ahead of the game with the African-American coaches. He stayed on top of that stuff behind the scenes. He was more worried about game day than the recognition for the changes that he was going to help bring about relative to the league. Now, one of the things that you've been recently involved in, of course, is the effort in Carson, California, to build a stadium there, uh, help out your old friends at the Raiders. You guys are always <laughs> close pals. I know that. Al Davis is spinning as I say that. Uh, and, you know, things didn't shake down the way you'd hoped. What's your sort of take on what went on there and, and the resolution, if there is a resolution at this point, which is hard to tell? Well, in December, and I'm using the right year, 2014, it was all set. The Rams were going to go to Inglewood. They were going to build this grandiose building. They were going to open it. They were going to play there for two years, have a Super Bowl. And then, if the Chargers were not able to get a deal done in uh, San Diego, 
they were going to bring the Chargers up as a tenant. That's the way it was all set up. We put the Carson deal together. We made great headway. We actually were viewed by most people as being in the, in the forefront of the whole process. We had the committee on board. We had a lot of people on board. And I have to give uh, Stan Kroenke credit. He saw what was happening. He opened the floodgates. He raised the level of, of the playing field. He took the deal at Inglewood to $3 billion. He was committing $1 billion in equity. And then he, he went on to say, I want the Chargers to join me. So it was, it was like a tsunami coming in. And it just overwhelmed. <laughs> quick, quick question for Financial you, though. The, the, the relocation committee, though, voted 5-1 to one in favor of Carson, and yet they still went to Inglewood with the Rams. You surprised or shocked by that? I, I am surprised, but I'm I, I, not shocked. I think what's happened is you, you're seeing the shift. Old guard, new guard, a view of the league, the, the fact that there were a lot of people that thought that they were very concerned about St. Louis and abandoning St. Louis. And then all of a sudden, this thing became so big, it was just impossible to turn away from. The NFL basically followed the money, right? There's a shocker. <laughs> Who would ever think? Carmen? <laughs> what a thing. We're not going to follow money, but you know who's going to follow you? Dwight Clark. Oh, one he's of the my man. Players. Hey, You're going to have more fun with him than me. Thanks for stopping by, Carmen. Great seeing you. Thanks. Good to see you. Thanks, this is the Talk of Fame Network. Well, we're back from Moscone Center, the Talk of Fame Network, and we go from Carmen Policy to... A member of San Francisco royalty. You guys know I Whoa, love music. Well, well, you know I love music. Right. When Peter Frampton, you know, Frampton comes alive, they said, Bill Graham said, a honorary member of San Francisco society. This is a honorary member of San Francisco royalty. I'm talking about Dwight Clark, author of The Catch. And I got to know Dwight when he was a GM of the 49ers. And Dwight, um, since we were talking to your boss earlier, Carmen Policy, right. I'll go back to those halcyon days. Um, you drafted Terrell Owens. And he was a terrific player for you. He now is on the Hall of Fame shortlist. He's one of the finalists. And he's open, year. wherever he is right now. <laughs> Trust me, he's open. He, he's, he'll, he'll he is a finalist in his first year. <laughs> right. But Ron, who's mentioned that he's open, he and I have differing opinions of him. So I'm going to ask you, Dwight Clark, if you were on the Hall of Fame committee on Saturday, and you're sitting there with us, do you vote Terrell Owens in? Do you make him go from 15 to 10 to 5? Do you vote him in? And if not, why not? No warm-up questions. Huh? No, we're going <laughs> no right to it. We're going, right we're to going it. right into it. When we drafted Terrell Owens, he was the sweetest he was. kid. Remember you used to say, yes, sir, no, sir? All that, yeah. Had a nice little easy North Carolina agent. Right. You know, it was just, it was all good. And, I don't know, notoriety, a lot of catches, all that kind of got to him. But uh, I don't think I would vote for him for the Hall of Fame. Um, he had, his stats are ridiculous. But, uh, you know, if they were, I don't know, if they were counting drops back then, you know, maybe <laughs> you take a look at that. Um, I did. I mean, um, he's, I think he quit on his team one time. and what, One time? <laughs> maybe more. But, but yeah, that's, that's just. When, the, that's when, we had, when we had Bill Polian on a couple of weeks ago, yeah. he said the Hall of Fame is for players who make their teams better, not players who disrupt them and make them worse. And that was, in a, direct, that was a direct answer to a question about Terrell Owens. Is that yeah, fair? Absolutely. I, I think so. And that's the way I feel about it. Now, somebody that knows a lot more than I do about it could probably sit across the table and maybe convince me that he deserves to be in there. And I would listen to an argument. 
But well, here's a guy right yes. here, Ron Borges. Does anybody know wide receivers? Are you telling us you don't know wide yeah. receivers? Come well, on. I haven't seen every play he's ever played. He saw a lot of I them. haven't been in any, you know, all the locker rooms, yeah. and especially where he was uh, disruptive. But, uh, well, you yeah, know, I just, I don't know. You know, Dwight, it's, 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 to me, he's, he's one of the most fascinating of candidates because there's all those, these warts. There's no question about them. You can't deny them. Right. Uh, I also saw him playing a Super Bowl with a broken leg, and he nearly won the game. I mean, he was he was the Eagles' team in that game, and without Terrell Owens, they would have lost by a hundred points in that game. Probably uh, right. And, and had yeah. they had the quarterback played with as much, uh, I would argue, urgency, just urgency, whatever you want to call it. Now he, he did get popped in the head, so I'll give him that. But you know, the other guy literally was playing on a broken leg. He had nine catches. Nice to see Andy Reid yeah. two minutes. Right. You know. Yeah. So I mean, right. I look at that and I say, you know, it, it, this guy took some. Play, some teams to some places. And in less than a year, that same team had suspended him and let him go. Well, they had. No question about it. Well, when I made the catch, I was thinking, damn, that thing's high. You know? <laughs> right. Oh, we're not talking about that? <laughs> I've been asked that everywhere I go. I, I thought we would go right into that. That's, that's usually the icebreaker. <laughs> no, we went right to the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> right you, to the hard but, part. But, you know, to me, that's the mystery of, of, of the guy. You know, on the one hand, he would... No, he took. He made that catch against the Packers for you guys, where he took that tremendous shot. And he knew he was going to take it. A lot of guys don't catch that ball. You might have, but there, we all know there's guys who wouldn't have caught it. But he did. Yeah. Right. The flip side is, as you point out, then he comes into the locker room, you know, and he sets the place on fire. So uh, I don't know where the balance is, but yeah. for every team that didn't want him, there was a team that did, and he caught a lot of balls for all those. Teams. Hey, Dwight, Dwight, he wasn't wasn't he? He didn't have natural hands. Wasn't he more of a body catcher? I agree. Yeah, and and not yeah. that I'm against body catching, That's but why yeah, not a not a natural pass catcher. He sure did catch a lot of passes against yeah. his body. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know how many he caught, but it's like way up there, third or fourth. Yeah, third all time. Yeah. He's, I think he's second or third in every category there is, which is he was talking body catches. First in body catches. Yeah, he's first in body catches. Just uh, hey, DC. Uh, um, as you know. Eddie DeBartolo, the uh, 49ers owner, is up also as a candidate. We've talked to you before on this. Yeah. How keyed up do you think he is for this? You've talked to him. Um, this is a big deal to him. It is. It's a huge deal. And it's, it's going to be a close call. You it's, know it's going to be a close I know, call. I know. It's a huge deal to all of us. I mean, the, you know the other thing that nobody's thinking about? You know, if he gets in the Hall of Fame, do you know the things he's able to do to that place? They want to remodel and do all right. these things. This guy can He's a difference maker. This guy can change people's lives. He, it just and for all the things he's done to the league, make the league stronger. You know, just being a great owner, um, it would just be great for everyone concerned if he were was to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I know they want to do a whole lot of stuff there at the Hall of Fame with remodeling and all that. I, I can guarantee you, Eddie'd be right in the middle of that. What made him special as an owner? Well, he was, he, everything starts at the top. And, you know, Eddie was very special that way, very generous. He would, he would say to the coaches, you know, what do you need to win? Um, I, think, I think because he put so much of his support behind players, other owners had to change. They had to, they had to go out and spend more money to get better players to compete. And so I think he made the league stronger. He made it better. Uh, TV ratings went up. Uh, he just had a lot of uh, a lot to do with where the league is now, from the things he did when he was the owner. You know, one of the things I think, Clark, that a lot of, uh, a lot of people forget, Dwight, is that um, at that time when Eddie came along, the relationship between the players and the owners was not good. 
I mean, it wasn't that many years removed from Textram standing up in a negotiating session and telling Upshaw, you don't get it, you're the cattle and we're the ranchers. I mean, that's like the polar opposite of Eddie's way of looking at it. I mean, it, no doubt. it struck me that he was a pretty big force in changing that mindset. Uh, between yeah. the players and us, I totally agree with that. I mean, he he made us he made us feel like we were part of his family. I mean, he would like in the South you get a firm handshake when you want to congratulate somebody. You come in the locker room after a win, Eddie's hugging you, kissing you on both cheeks. I'd never experienced that. Plus, you know? he knew everybody's name. He knew everybody's name. He he knew about your family, and uh, I mean, he was uh, he was just a. Uh, not only the owner, he was your friend. Okay, Dwight. If, it, it, if Ken Stabler goes in the Hall of Fame, that'll be 11 Raiders oh. from the 70s. Oh, They're here in the Hall go. of Fame, and they went to one, Hall, one Super Bowl, yet the 80s Niners who won four Super Bowls have four players in it. What's up with that? Boy, I don't, you're, you're asking something that's way over my head. I, you know what it is? It's Joe Montana made us all a lot better. I caught 11 passes my senior year with Joe Montana and Bill Walsh. I went to the Pro Bowl, Player of the Year for Sports Illustrated. I didn't do that. I mean, I knew how to get open and catch the ball. Joe Montana, Bill Walsh are the guys that made it all happen. And those two guys are in the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you trash Steve Fuller. <laughs> I covered him in Kansas City. He was a good a quarterback. A national champion. He was a good quarterback. Yeah. You know, I see where ESPN just uh, voted Tom Brady the greatest Super Bowl player of all time. I would guess, Joe, that uh, Joe, Joe would have uh, something else to say. But, Dwight, I would guess that you might have something else to say on that subject. 4-0. Four, four four no. 11 touchdowns, zero, zero interceptions. Right. The, the biggest in the big games, he never lost the Super Bowl. I, I can understand a little bit of the argument that Brady went to more. I, I get that. But in a big game, who do you want more? I mean, Joe Montana doesn't make any mistakes in the big games. That's yeah, who look, I want. Look what right. he did with Kansas City. He yeah. even took Kansas City to a conference. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's right. That's, that's like he, he makes like Clark said. He, he raised everybody's boat. He made everybody better on offense, defense, special teams. Right. Oh, there. Yeah, no doubt about that. Joe Montana was he was the field general. He knew when to yell at people and knew when to try to settle everybody down. You know, like the John Candy thing. Yeah. So he, he just knew how to handle the huddle. He was just a normal dude. And, you know, he's a you could drink a beer with him. Um, Talk about girls with him. He's just one of the guys. He just wanted to hang out. You know, I said you were a uh, member of San Francisco Royalty. We were down on Union Street last night at Perry's, and I was showing these guys some photos, and I said, oh, by the way, Who's check that out guy? this one. Who's that guy? It was you, Herb Kane, yeah. Willie Brown. Right. And who was the fourth Huey one? Lewis. Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis in that Lewis. picture. You know the picture? Oh, hell yeah. We were doing like a celebrity That's bartending right. thing down there. Yeah, we used to hang out with uh, with Perry all the time. You're a celebrity this time? <laughs> Not <laughs> anymore. Dwight, you can hang out with us anytime. We love having you stop by. Thanks, Thanks so guys. much. Thanks Great so to see much you. Thanks, Dwight. Great seeing you Appreciate guys. Appreciate it. Good to see you. That's Dwight Clark, one of our favorites. And this is the Talk of Fame Network, live from Moscone Center. Welcome back to the Talk of Fame Network. We're live with our second annual live broadcast from the Super Bowl. And before we get started, this is just a reminder, the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by MyCleanPC. If your computer runs slowly, log on to MyCleanPC.com for a free diagnosis. And within minutes, you can download software to clean up what may be slowing it down. That's MyCleanPC.com. And nothing's slowing us down, guys. We're going from Dwight Clark to another Hall of Fame candidate, 
That's Ken Stabler. Ron, you're going to present him on Saturday. There's a story in the New York Times today written by John Branch. It's pretty interesting that basically Ken Stabler's brain was found to have CTE. as apparently a day after he died of colon cancer last summer. Um, his brain was removed by autopsy and sent to doctors in Massachusetts, and he was found to have had stage 3 CTE. Um, and A, Ron, I'm wondering... Are you surprised? And B, does this in any aspect, positive, negative, affect his candidacy? On the um, I don't think on the latter. I don't think it makes too much any difference, really, one way or the other. Um, I think it uh, doesn't shock me. Uh, he was, uh, his case was not as severe, uh, although it was uh, severe enough to, to more than likely affect his, uh, his personality and how he... Uh, handled certain issues, uh, some of which caused him a lot of uh, problems in his life. Um, No question about it. Um, But I had seen more. You know, I saw the pictures in the New York Times. I had seen worse. You you saw Mike Webster or some of these guys that looked like they spray-painted it with a can of brown paint. Um, You mentioned uh, that because there are other Hall of Famers who've had CT. Sure, Junior Seau, Frank Gifford. Right, Frank Gifford, I mean, a number of them. And I think this is not like this is going to stop. Uh, I think you're going to continue to see this. But I don't, I don't think it, it uh, will have any impact in the room. I think Staples is going to get in based on his uh, the merits of his career, uh, or at least I hope he does, uh, because I don't have any doubt that he's a Hall of Famer, and I think he's, he's been a Hall of Famer for a long time. Unfortunately, uh, he's, he's not going to be around when he finally gets It's the same scenario as Junior Sale. He passed right. away, and the CTE came up. I think that, that he, he will benefit from that. But, but what people have to understand is back in the 70s, they didn't protect quarterbacks oh, like no. they do now. Oh, no. I mean, people say, we quarterback. Well, no, these guys took a beating. They right. didn't. Uh, they weren't throwing a flag every time you breathed on a quarterback. And, and those guys back then, they were getting hit and hit hard. Sure. I mean, it's the famous uh, picture of Bradshaw launching that, uh, that pass to Lynn Swan in the Super Bowl and just getting blasted in the head, and he never saw it land. You know, two guys, uh, you know, dragging him off by his heels like a, a bull out of the bull ring. And, you know, he was gone, and he was back into the next series. And that's how it was in, in those days. Um, these guys would laugh, you know, you know, Snake in particular would be one of them, to, to watch the, uh, you know, Clark's pal, uh, you know, Tom Brady and some of these guys throwing themselves upon the mercy of the court every time somebody is in their direction. You know, I mean, these guys would look at this and go, what are they doing? You, you didn't see quarterbacks taking a dive. In no. Oh, you no. stood in there and you took You the took hit. the no. hit and, and that was it. And, and when you got hit, you didn't say anything about it. You have to throw yourselves at the mercy of the court as long as Ted Wells is involved in this game. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I want to ask you another question about uh, Stabler. Sure. Let's just say he gets into the Hall of Fame, okay? Please. Yeah. Say okay, that. Let's just, I think it's, you think it's going to be a close call and so do we, but. You got Ray Guy in. Hopefully you can get Ken Stabler in. But if he does Patron saint of lost causes, that's me. Like St. Jude. Would the <laughs> Pro Football Hall of Fame allow his daughters or his life partner, Kim Bush, to make a speech on his behalf? Um, that was an issue last year with Junior Seau's daughter. Right. I would say probably not. I, I don't think so. I mean, this, this, uh, Goose probably knows the exact regulation. I know there's... Uh, I, I would say the precedent's been set. I would say the precedent's been set. You let... Uh, Junior Sales' daughter speak off stage. Off stage, right? right. But, but I do think uh, they'll have something like that set up. Because that was for, a poignant moment. I mean, yeah, it was. Like, yeah, it was. And and this would be a poignant moment as well. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, the, one of the interesting things about about Stable's passing was that uh, really nobody other than his immediate family, and closest friends, knew, and most of his teammates didn't know. And that was him. When he was a player, he would not go in the trainer's room 
until everybody was out and gone because he didn't want them to see his teammates, to see him, you know, trying to fix whatever it is was broken at the moment. Uh, and he lived that uh, right to the end of his life, just the way he lived. Really, he was the same guy from the first day I ever met him till the day he passed. Ron, Dwight obviously would not answer this. Let's see if you'll tap an answer <laughs> on it. If, if Ken Stabler goes in, he'll be the 11th Raider from the 70s in, and they went to one Super Bowl. How do you justify all that? Well, I mean, uh, I think there's a couple of guys there, like Ted Hedges, for example, who had a Hall of Fame career in other places as well as there. Bob Brown. So, Bob Brown, the same way. I mean, uh, uh, so, you know, there was several of those guys that you know, they're thought of as Raiders, uh, but they really were already Hall of Famers, frankly. Well, I don't think Bob Brown would have gone in as an Eagle, and I don't think well, he would have gone in as a Colt. I think that when he put the Pirate... The, the, uh, well, it didn't hurt him, that's for sure. I mean, <laughs> look, that team wasn't even in its... But you covered it. How, how come that team only went... To the one Super Bowl. Uh, well, my opinion personally, uh, and, and I mean no disrespect when I say this, but I think John Madden became a different coach when they were the, when they got in the playoffs. He was started to coach uh, not to lose the games rather than to win the games. I mean, this was one of the most explosive offenses in football, and, and you watched them play in some of those playoff games, and, and really said, "What are they doing?" Yeah, John Madden's in the Hall of Fame. Right, he is. You know, he is, and, and uh, you know, if there were a contributor car- category at that time, I would have argued that that's where he belonged, you know, uh, uh, not so much as uh, uh, for his coaching, you know. I mean, the, the irony was the team that beat them, I believe this is correct, um, every time the team that beat them ultimately won the Super Bowl that year. So the Super Bowl was them against whomever it was that was, that was beating them for, you know, four or five times. They had some bad luck. Uh, look, there's no... Question about it. In 1977, they should have gone back. Rob Lytle clearly fumbled a ball in the mm-hmm. championship game, and the ball went up in the air. Tatum got it, and they, they said, oh, Tatum, can't possibly be true. <laughs> so <laughs> that was it. Uh, you didn't have you know, replay and everything like you'd have today, which would have probably overturned it. Um, so there was that. But you're right. I mean, that's a, that's a um, it, it's not a great mark on their, on, on their team that they uh, did win more titles. Ron, we've got about 30 seconds. Let's make this quick. What are you going to stress about Stabler? Well, just the fact that he's one of the winningest quarterbacks ever. He beat everybody, including seven Hall of Famers, beat their ears back. So, you know, he won two-thirds of his games in any category you can think of. Good luck to you, Ron, and better luck to Ken Stabler on Saturday. This is the Hall of Fame. No, it's the Talk of Fame Sports Network. We'll be back. The, the moment, moment has arrived. I love talking about, baby. I keep talking. Watch the Super Bowl, baby. Super Bowl 50 is here. <laughs> The Broncos are going to Super Bowl 50. And we are there on Yahoo Sports Radio, live from San Francisco. There will be some Panther silver at the Golden Anniversary Super Bowl. The Carolina Panthers, champions of the NFC, are headed to Super Bowl 50. Yahoo Sports Super Week, live from the site. It was caught. It's a touchdown. The Broncos. They know I'm getting the ball. They know I'm getting the ball tonight. Battling for Lombardi. Oh, get the ball. On Yahoo Sports Radio. The new YahooSportsRadio.com. Oh, go get the ball tonight. Thanks to our friends at Mahindra taking us to Radio Row for Super Bowl 50. How much y'all charge? And Yahoo Sports Super Week, made possible by Granger. Ain't too much talking to be going on tonight. All about it. Are you ready? It's, it's Yahoo, Yahoo Sports, Sports Super, Super Week. Hey, quit calling the Plays, all right? Now live from the Moschione Center in San Francisco, California, this is a special edition of Talk of Fame. Live from the Super Bowl. Now, Ron Borges, Clark Judge, and Rich Gosselin. 
We are live from Moscone Center, back with our second hour. And I mentioned that uh, Peter Frampton was an honorary member of San Francisco Society, and Dwight Clark was an honorary member of San Francisco Royalty. We've now got a guest who's an honorary member of neither. And that's Ray. He's Wano. barely a member of society. <laughs> and esteemed columnist. We've known for A years. steaming columnist. And steaming columnist from CSN Bay Area. And Ray, first of all, welcome to the show. And secondly, we've been talking about Ken Stabler, his Hall of Fame candidacy, the fact that New York Times article came out today about Stabler's brain and the, and the um, uh, results from that of the CTE. They had stage three. I'd like to ask you, first of all, uh, you, you saw Stabler play. Um, a, is he Hall of Fame worthy? And then B, your thoughts on, does this article in any way affect his candidacy pro or con? Does it accelerate it or decelerate it? So let's go first. Hall of Fame worthy or not? Um, yeah, although I, I accept the fact that he's a borderline guy. I mean, he's a guy that, frankly, it's hard to explain because you had to be in the building to see him at his best because he had this way of convincing everyone not just his fellow players, but the players on the other team and the people in the stands, that he would figure out a way, if you were a Raider fan, to make you very happy, and if you weren't, to make you very sad. Um, his numbers are not overwhelming, but he's one, of, he's one of those guys who, in the absence of a ton of video, is, he's an eye of the beholder guy. And he's not a guy that easily translates to the metric crowd, but... On balance, yes, I think I think he's earned it. You know, it's interesting where you you mentioned his numbers, and you're right. That's people talk about his, the interceptions. They talk about his completion percentage, um, but to me, the number that that ring through the most from him is he played for three teams. All three teams when he retired, their winningest season was when Ken Stable played quarterback there. New Orleans, Houston, Oakland. Uh, you know, he won the, you know, the state championship in high school. He won the national championship in college. He won the Super Bowl in the NFL. I mean, I don't know. Uh, to me, a quarterback's job is to win. And, uh, he, you know, our friend Ira Miller always said, can you write the history of pro football uh, without the guy? And I don't know how you can write that. He's got more names and more games named after him than most guys have played in. Well, I don't buy the, the win-loss record argument, only because I think – you have a ton of really good quarterbacks played on bad teams and were punished for it because a quarterback does not operate independently. But I buy the can you write the history of football without using his name argument. And I don't think you can write a comprehensive, coherent history of the game without Stabler being in it and being in it prominently. Right. So I'm in, I'm in agreement with you, but I just, I just don't like the win-loss metric because I just think that it separates quarterbacks and makes them responsible for things that very often they're not responsible for. Well, I'm right, where their salaries separated. The quarterbacks are the guys that get the $100 million contracts. Two people get paid to win, head coaches and quarterbacks. Everybody else, assistant coaches, players get paid to play. If you get paid $25 million a year, that's the owner's fault. Okay, But in terms of the actual playing of the game, you see good quarterbacks on bad teams a lot. You see mediocre quarterbacks go to good teams and thrive. Now, you could see a good quarterback on a really good team and see him become great, like Brady. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if Tom Brady could be a great quarterback if he'd spent his entire career with the Titans. How about Montana? I think the same thing could be said. I think some guys are just matched right with the coach they're at, at the time that they're there, 
and they're surrounded by good people above them who assemble good players around them, and it just becomes sort of a, an organic thing. But I don't think you could take a quarterback on a good team, just pull him out and put him anywhere, and just have him be a triumph. I just don't think it makes sense to do that. Right. Let's get back to Saber for a second. No, let's not. Let's talk about this until it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> We've reached that point. We've reached that point, but we're going to extend this conversation anyway. Um, I asked you about the, the, the CTE, and, and, and does that have any impact, you think, on his candidacy? And then secondly, um, the fact that he died last summer, I know we don't want to acknowledge it, but doesn't that help his he be, He became... He became a better candidate in dying because people revisited him. Right. That's right. right. So in that way, yes. The CTE thing I don't think is a massive thing, except for people who are predisposed, A, to vote against him anyway, and B, think that somehow this would embarrass the league. And I think there are still people in the media who worry about that a bit. And given that he's a borderline candidate, if you swing one or two votes with that argument, you can keep them out. Now, if it, now Junior Sale last year had CTE sailed through because, quite frankly, he was a great player. He was a first ballot Hall of Famer no matter what. Stabler clearly is not because he didn't go in on the first ballot, and this is his fourth time trying. Well, this is the guy presented him right here, Ron Borges. Got Case any, closed. Got huh? any advice for him? Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's one of the things I find interesting about... Uh, he couldn't get Carol, Carol Z- Catherine Zeta-Jones into a party. <laughs> <laughs> He's tried. Here's one of the things I find interesting about uh, Stabler. Uh, Clark, you mentioned his passing. Uh, and I really don't believe there are very many players who ever played who will have this happen. When Ken Stabler died, NFL Network did Three days of programming on on Kem Stable. That's the sort of legendary guy that that he was. I mean, it's just but, but, you can't argue against it. You know? I, but I, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that that in and of itself makes you a Hall of Fame. But it was pretty no, remarkable. No, but I, I think two things. One, if the people who run NFL Network were in their 20s and 30s, they they would probably would not have understood it. But I think most of the people who run networks are in their 50s and 60s, and they remember him. Right. Mm-hmm. And they remember that, that feel you got when you watched him. And so he made for good television. There's no question. But there was also a mystique and, about him, right? Well, I mean, no, he, but that's what I mean. Yeah, because he, he won. Well, but well, I mean, the no, no, but he was, but he was, he was part of a, of a greater whole right. that, he, that worked for him. I mean, just, you know, being, being a Raider in the 70s carried a cachet that it has not since. And he was part of the reason why it did work, but he's also part of the reason why, you know, he benefited from that just as much as he provided for it. And the that's why I say he's an eye of the beholder guy. And putting him in is an eye of the beholder vote because it's not a numbers vote. His numbers are good. They're not great. But if you watched him and you remembered him, you would not have a problem voting for him. How many quarterbacks have a nickname? Think Seven. about it. Think about Seven it. of them. The snake. <laughs> you know, he's, not, right. he's the snake. I mean, right. how many, do, do you Tom know? Brady, uh, you know, right. well, come on. Ron's got a nickname for Tom Brady, but he can't say it on the air. <laughs> do, do, you, do you know who he is? He's he's Bobby Lane 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good point. That's good one. Yeah. I mean, it, just, it literally, he was a guy who walks into the huddle, complete command. Complete rake off the field, absolute rogue, no question. But in the huddle, nobody else talked. At the line of scrimmage, 
never had a guy confused about what he was supposed to do or where he was supposed to be. And all that all going deep. Yeah, well, that yeah, true. But but you know, he's a guy too, though. And to keep him in perspective, he was protected by one of the great offensive lines in the history of the game. Right. And he had great people to throw to and great people to hand off to. So it all worked out. But you know, here's a classic to me uh, uh, essence of stay right to your point about you had to see him. Immaculate reception game. He's on the bench. God knows why, but he's he's on the bench. All is lost. They, they, what are they going to do? They can't move, have him move the ball for three and a half quarters. They put in the snake. He runs with 117 to go. He runs 30 yards for, for what should have been the winning touchdown. Then they give it up. Good coaching. <laughs> well, there you go. Good coaching indeed because he had nothing to do with it. You know? I, I, th- I think the, the 30 yards he ran took 28 seconds. Well, we, got but he than, got there. we got less than 28 seconds here, Ray. But listen, we're not letting you go. We're going to bring you back for the next segment. So he can spoil two seconds. Damn go. it. You're you promised. and the Talk of Fame Network. Talk of Fame Network is live. Moscone Senator at the Super Bowl, and we're brought to you by MyCleanPC. The computer runs slowly. Log on to MyCleanPC.com for a free diagnosis, and within minutes, you can download software to clean up what may be slowing it down. That's MyCleanPC.com. And Ray Rattle's not slowing us down. He's the columnist from CSN Bay Area, and we're back, Ray, to talk, well, about everything, Barry, including your 49ers. Uh, the Freeze. Next- they, they Let's made, choose a different pronoun. <laughs> they, they made some news uh, today uh, with the Girl Scouts. Outstanding. You know, and, and, and my daughter was a Girl Scout, so I have an interest in this. Uh, apparently the Girl Scouts had... My booked. son was a Girl Scout. <laughs> How'd that go? It went well for a while until he started eating more cookies than he sold. <laughs> um, they apparently booked Levi's Stadium um, for a, an event for the... In uh, May. Best, yeah, and for the best cookie sellers in Northern California. Right. 1,200 of the little beasts. You're all working Radio Row, too. And and then they were notified that actually that date had been canceled by the 49ers because, um, oh, we got a concert coming in. They booked a concert, which presumes it must be somebody of some import. So you can sell tickets and concessions and parking, that sort of thing. Yes. Except they announced that the same day that... No, no, they didn't announce it. They wrote a letter canceling their contract, which they are entitled to do, by the way. Right, and they made it clear. Right. Yes to the, the head of the local the Northern California Girl Scouts on the same day that Jed York, with his keen PRI, <laughs> tweeted a picture of himself buying a box of Girl Scout cookies on the street here in San Francisco. What nice, has nice. happened to PR? Not much gets by Jed York. You know what? You know as well as anybody that the, the media relations department doesn't have the kind of clout with the people right. who hire them that they used to. Yeah, and I want to make and, clear, and I like Bob Lang, and I think what the, the PR department does well with us when we come up right. out of town, but you may have a different... Well, no, 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 I don't have a... And I don't think this has anything to do no, with Bob. I don't think it, no, 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 I think one hand doesn't know what the other right, is doing. Right. Yeah, they don't listen to and the, and the fact that, that, that Jed could pull this off on the same day <laughs> that the Girl Scouts are getting told to hit the bricks is probably an indication that Jed didn't know anything about right. it. Right. Unless he is a complete and utter moron. And the, that possibility does exist. Mm. Ask Jim Harbaugh. Well, well it, it just reflects poorly on the organization. Oh, no, it and makes them right. look I mean, stupid at a time when they're already looking stupid. I think you're right. I think the PR department on the week when they're trying going, to look, what the hell yeah. happened? I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, First no. off, why would right you now, Bob Lang is at Home Depot buying a set of hammers to hit himself <laughs> in the head. <laughs> right. Because tomorrow is not going to be good for him. But there's no. an easy recovery. 
have Jed buy $100,000 for the Girl Cow cookies? There you go. No, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> well, actually, they, they've, they, they did come up with a recovery plan. Now they're, they gave them a due date, and they're paying all the expenses and everything. So the Girl Scouts are in there for, for free. Good business move. Um, yeah, but why doesn't somebody think of that? Well, exactly. Why would you say we're going to cancel? Why would you say, hey, uh, yeah. we got a problem on this date? Can we shift the date? And we'll and, cover and all we'll, the expenses. We'll cover the expenses. Why isn't that your first instinct? And that's the problem with, well, a lot of sports organizations, but the 49ers in this case, is that they're utterly reactive. If this story doesn't hit Twitter, and all credit to Mike Rosenberg of the San Jose Mercury News for breaking it, if this doesn't hit Twitter and then hit Deadspin and then hit everybody else, they don't think a thing about it. Right. They think this is fine. They think this is, they think this is good business. Right. And that's a, insanity. Right. Don't say that's a league-wide problem. Yeah, uh, oh, no, I think it's, it's a sports-wide problem. A sports-wide problem. No question. Right. Speaking of PR disasters, what's to become of the Oakland Raiders? That's not a PR disaster. That's just a sign that the National Football League is no longer hiding the fact that they burned the sausage. <laughs> you know, so you know, once you see how they do business, you become more and more horrified by the 31 people who run this league. Not Roger Goodell, but the 31 billionaires who have the, the, the political savvy and the public relations sense of, of a puff adder. <laughs> the Raiders are in a position that they've been in now for at least a year where they're waiting for Dean Spanos to tell them what they're going to be allowed to do. Because they want to get out of Oakland. And they've wanted to get out for a long time. They haven't said it, but they know that Oakland has no money because Oakland's told them they have no money. So there's no stadium for them there. So they have to go somewhere. And their original plan was, well, we'll hook up with Dean and we'll go to Carson and we'll live happily ever after. Well, only Dean got, you know, backstabbed by his partners because that's the NFL way. So now he's got a year to make up his mind whether he wants to go back to San Diego and if San Diego will cooperate with him, in which case the Raiders go to Los Angeles, or if Dean decides San Diego isn't going to play ball with him, and they don't have to, and he decides to stay in L.A., at which point Mark can either try to convince San Diego to build something for him, or he tries to get into Las Vegas. But, Ray, why would San Diego build something for him if it's not going to build something for the Chargers, if, in fact, that happens? Because it's got to go to a referendum, I think, in November. If they say no, why would they build something for the Raiders when they're not going to build something for the Chargers? Well, that, see, that, that's an open deal, and let's be honest. A lot of stadiums get built because politicians say, well, we'll just take this inside. We're, not even, you know, we're going to change the rules so that we don't have to go to a vote. That's what happened with Carson. You know, they didn't have to have a vote. Neither did Inglewood, because they just the city fathers and mothers said, "Yeah, we're not. We're just going to pass this and tell you later." Well, speaking of Carson, we had Carmen Policy on earlier, and he was the point man for that Carson project, and he said he was surprised, and I think he said shocked. I don't know, but um, that after a five-one vote by that committee, they turned around and went to Stan Kroenke. Except as Ron pointed out, they followed the money. Right, Kroenke well, had, the money, had the, the money, and Kroenke had the door, and, and he had the land. Look, they, no, they they had a choice to make. Vote for the guy you like and the land you don't, or the land you like and the guy you don't. And since most of them are repellent reptiles anyway, they went with the land. Right. And from my understanding, they were sort of hemming and hawing for a bit. And then Paul Allen, who goes to no league meetings, as far as I know, stands up and says, there's a difference in a billion dollars in the value of the land. Why are, what are we discussing? And then 
Roger Goodell, probably prompted by another owner, says, let's go to a secret ballot. That way, Dean Spanos can never know who exactly screwed him. But it's plenty of people. That's <laughs> a pretty high number. Yeah. I mean, 30 they, out of 32. Yeah, they, they, uh, they had no problem with that. And they would, and they would, they would cheerfully do it to any of their partners. And there are other, That's the beauty of it. Right. But their other fear, which was a legitimate one, I think, was that Kroenke uh, had, the, had the pockets, the power, and the inclination to sue the pants off them if they really tried to stop a guy from moving to, to a piece of property he owns, uh, you know, and out of a, a stadium deal that no longer exists. Well, except for the fact that after Al Davis cuffed the league's ears about nine or ten different he, times, he did. Um, the, the league went back and they tightened up their rules to make it harder and harder to win those. And if you sign to become a na- member of the National Football League, you have to accede to their rules, which cover moving a franchise. When Al was there, there wasn't a rule about that, and he walked right through the loophole. In fact, danced a bit. So, you know, it, it would not have been an easy win for Crocky. But I wouldn't be surprised if he also said, I know things about you guys, and I'm willing to play dirty to get what I want. Right. Could St. Louis be a factor? No. They, they're going to boost. Yeah. They might, but I, I, Mark Davis, take this for what it's worth, because he's an NFL owner and therefore predisposed to lie even when it doesn't benefit him, could say, I, well, he has said, I don't want to go to St. Louis. Yeah, there's no P.F. Changs there. They put one in for <laughs> In the stadium. In the stadium. Absolutely. <laughs> so, but, so no, I, I, is it a possibility? Yeah, but I'd say it's a slim one. I know mean, oh, it, it's got a better chance of San Antonio, I'll tell you Quick that. question for everybody. We've got about 20 seconds left. You're telling listeners then, the Oakland Raiders, if they've got a future in Oakland, it's only for one year, correct? Yes, because they're not going to build a new stadium. They, they'll just extend the bad lease they got. We've got a future with Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer coming up about Johnny Manziel. So, Ray, thanks for stopping by. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. We're live with the Talk of Fame Network from Moscone Center at Super Bowl 50, and the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by MyClaim PC. Your computer runs slowly, and Ron, whose computer doesn't, right? Well, I know yours does. <laughs> Log on to MyCleanPC.com for a free diagnosis, and within minutes, you can download software to clean up what may be slowing it down. That's MyCleanPC.com. We've been talking to members of San Francisco Society and Royalty, and we're switching gears here now, and we're going to a member of Cleveland Society No question. No royalty. question about that. That's special guest. That's Mary Kay Cabot, who's a Hall of Fame voter, but who also is a glutton for punishment for the 25 last years. She's been covering the Cleveland Browns for the Plain Dealer and now for the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. And Mary Kay, your team's in the news all the time, and usually it's for a quarterback that they're going to get rid of. Um, it's Johnny Manziel, of course, Johnny Football, and I guess soon Johnny demoted. But um, they can't cut him until March 9th. Is that correct? I mean, they've, they've made it clear that they're moving on from they can't cut him until March 9th, correct? Right. They cannot cut him until March 9th because of salary cap implications. They rolled all their salary cap money over into next year already. They don't have anything left. If they did have anything left, he would be gone on Monday <laughs> as soon as the waiver wire opens. Okay. When he is gone, just a guess, just a hunch, but the man to my left here, Rick Goslin, will be seeing him in can his town. Wait. He's picking Rick, him up at the airport. He's Rick already he's already in my Dallas. town, okay? He's already down Happens there. to be in Dallas, and that seems to be the place where everyone says Johnny Manziel will turn up. So do you have any advice for either Johnny Manziel, the Cowboys, or our Goose Goslin? Well, first of all, I'll send you a care package. It will include <laughs> a, a swan that you can inflate when you want to. It will include he's already got that. A blonde wig, uh, a fake mustache. <laughs> 
uh, all, all different kinds of things. Uh, it has been, in 25 years again, of covering pro football and the Cleveland Browns, I have never seen anything like this young man. It really has. Someone uh, told me recently that's worked with him very closely, he's a train wreck. He's been a train wreck. Uh, I, I, wrote, I was writing a column today on the plane on the way out here saying he should not have come back to football after 10 weeks in rehab. Right. In April, he should have done something other than that, an interim step. I think... Personally, after watching him for 18 months, it should have been like a halfway house type of situation. He wasn't ready to get back, thrown back into the fishbowl. He wasn't ready for the pressures of life of Johnny football. I mean, this is a, think about this. He, this young man at the age of 21, 22 was larger than life. It was too much for him, and he wasn't ready to come back to it. Just, just take away the, the off-the-field stuff. Can he play in this league? Just the talent level of Johnny Manziel as a 22nd pick in a draft. Can he play in this league? I go back and forth and back and forth over that. I keep thinking that he can't and he's not going to be able to do it, that he's he runs too much, that he doesn't have enough of a, a pocket presence. But I will tell you, people that know football and coach football continue to tell me that he can play football in the right setting with the right coaching in the right system the ball does come out well uh you know i mean he he does have a very strong arm uh and if you can teach that side of it to go along with you know the johnny football stuff people that i talk to think that he can play in this league that's all jerry jones wanted to hear <laughs> yeah. i'm sorry right? i am so just sorry i just did that to you drawing up the contract <laughs> Uh, Mary Kay, you spent obviously way more time around this kid than you would have chosen under any other circumstances. And it's easy to look from the outside like we are, and uh, or at least, uh, you know, I look at him. Uh, this is a guy who appears to me at least to have grown up with everything. I mean, he had a you know, pass on, on life. And I look at it and say, what is your problem? And what in, Obviously, he has several. What is his problem? Because most people would say, oh, Shift lives with Johnny football, pretty good. Well, first of all, I have three teenagers, so every time I walked into the locker room, I really just wanted to ground him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I <laughs> Give did. Give him a out. Right, go to your room. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like. No video game for exactly. a week. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to take the cell phone away. This is it. Um, so, anyways, um, truthfully, I, I think what happened with Johnny is I think he showed up on the Browns doorstep uh, with, with a problem. And I think as, the, as his rookie season went along, uh, that became more and more evident that there were these issues uh, with some kind of a, apparent substance abuse. And then, you know, last year at this time, he said, hey, I have a problem. And he went and he dealt with it. Now, if you're going to go into a rehab facility for 73 days for 10 solid weeks, that's usually not the amount of time that you go into a rehab facility. Right. That means that uh, there are extenuating circumstances. There's... There are major issues going on. Mary Kay, I got a question for you. Is this Ryan Leaf all over again? I realize they're two different quarterbacks, okay? They're two different styles. But Ryan Leaf was an extraordinarily talented quarterback, so extraordinary that he was the number two pick in the 1998 draft. Right. But he had the maturity of a mayfly, kind of like Johnny Manziel. So (laughs) um, is is this Ryan Leaf, the present day Ryan Leaf? Well, you know what? I will say, I think that if you take whatever whatever substances Johnny is struggling with out of the equation, uh, he's very mature. I mean, he's wise beyond his years. In some ways, I can compare it almost to, like, 
LeBron. When I remember talking to LeBron back when he was very, very young, he was wise beyond his years. Johnny's a little bit of an old soul in some ways, believe it or not. He's he's smart. He's charismatic. You put him in front of hundreds of people, and, and he can handle the whole media thing. Uh, but uh, I, I, I definitely think that he has serious problems that need to be addressed again. They weren't completely, obviously, taken care of. And we know, most people know by now that, uh, you know, substance abuse or addiction or whatever the case may be is a one-day-at-a-time proposition. I was talking to a, a guy who knows Johnny Menzel today, and he told me that Menzel was addicted to the spotlight. That is true. Johnny is definitely addicted to the spotlight. Uh, in addition to whatever else he has going on, he does crave that fame. There's no question about it. Uh, so you have to wonder sometimes, does he love football, or do he, does he love the fame that football well, brings? He's not just right. getting fame, he's getting infamy. Right. right. Exactly. Well, that's why I was going to ask you, Murky. Do you think that, because I was wondering that about him from afar, because I think this is true of other guys that have been in this kind of situation. you think there's a possibility that he just really never chose to be a football player? Other people, to, I don't, you know, I look at Tiger Woods all the time and say, I don't know that he ever chose to play golf because he was playing golf before you could possibly make it. He, he was special in college. Well, he may have been, no, I'm not saying he's not special, but that doesn't mean you like doing it. You know, I mean, there's other guys that are special in things. And, but and that's, the, that's the path to the spotlight for him. Well, but that doesn't mean you like football. You yeah. think he well, likes I, I football? I do think he likes football, but I think he likes the party and, uh, you know, all the trappings that come with it more so than he cares about the game right now. Mm. He does not have what it takes at this time to want to be great. The other thing that happens with Johnny Manziel is he's never held accountable enough for the things that go on in his life, unfortunately. And he's not going to learn until maybe in one of these police uh, stops, he actually gets arrested. I mean, how about <laughs> charging him with something? I mean, right. in, on October 12th, he was flying down the berm of Interstate 90 in Cleveland at an estimated 90 miles an hour. He had admitted to drinking during the day. He was not breathalyzed. He, his girlfriend accused him of beating her that day. And... Uh, you know, all kinds of other crazy things went on, and there were no charges. So, Mary Kay, for anything. Who's your next quarterback? Uh, right now, I'm going to predict it will either be. I'm going to say it'll probably be Jared Goff, but they they kind of were intrigued by Carson Wentz at the Senior Bowl. Now, was this kind of Senior Bowl, you know, excitement and hype? Uh, that remains to be seen. But I think it'll be one of those two guys. Let's move on to happier topics. Are you getting tired of coaching searches? <laughs> wow. Three in the last four years, seven since 2000. There should be some Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> yeah, for sure. PFWA Award for something. We do need to, to start that. Let's get it going here tonight. I, I mean, I, you know, I can write the little manual or the book on it, and you know, I, I would like to send other reporters care packages on, on how to get through. The team should hire you as a consultant of these things. Yeah. You've been around enough of them. You oh, know more than they, they do. should. What's your, take, no what's your take on you, Jackson? You know, I like the fact that he's gotten that rookie year. Uh, out of the way. I've seen way too many coaches come in, brand new coaches, and make all kinds of rookie mistakes. They mm -hmm. don't understand the power of the media, of quarterback situations, all that stuff. So he's got that all out of the way, and I think he's ready to coach some football, and I think he, he's going to be good for Cleveland. Well, speaking of Lifetime Achievement Awards, Mary Kay, we'd like to give you one. For sticking with the Browns for 25 years. <laughs> You're not kidding. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Hey, listen, Thank you. we'll see you on Saturday, the yes. Hall of Fame vote. And uh, best of luck with those Browns, and congratulations on the new 
quarterback. <laughs> getting rid of the old one. That's Thank Mary Kay you. Cabot, Thanks the Cleveland Kay. Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. This is the Talk of Fame Network. We're back with the Talk of Fame Network, live from Super Bowl 50 and live from the Moscone Center. And Ron, if your computer runs slowly, who are you going to log on to? My PC. MyCleanPC.com, Ron. That was nice. See? That's why my, my, my you'll get it's not free, clean. You'll get a free diagnosis. It's a mess. And within minutes, you can download software to clean up what may be slowing it down. I would suggest you do it for your brain. Right I, now, I think okay? I should do it. That's MyCleanPC.com. It was great having Mary Kay on here. Super. We, we were talking off the air about what's going on with Johnny Manziel, and Goose actually had a uh, amateur diagnosis that might be very close <laughs> to the truth. Goose? Texas term is called affluenza. What's it mean? You've, you've got every, everything in life has been a gift, and you feel you're, you live by your own rules. Right. And I think that's where Johnny uh, Manziel is at. Well, I know Mary Kay didn't disagree with you. She thought no. that was the problem, and there's some family issues there as well. Yeah, he's a mess. Yeah, in the end, you know, I mean, we've all seen enough people, and in some cases we may even have people in our own families uh, that have gone through this almost always. When you boil it all away, you end up back in the house where... Which is not an excuse, but it's the reality of, of the situation. And what are you going to do about it? At some point, you've got to grow up and say, okay, whatever it was that's bothering you uh, happened. What are you going to do now? Coming back home. If he comes back to Dallas, that could be the worst thing that could, could happen be. to him. Could be. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, Ron, guess what we had today in the Dallas Morning News? On the website, Rick Goslin did Our his, goose. Dr. Data. All-time quarterback. Los Lobos. Top ten goose. Top ten. And remember when we asked him, where do you put Peyton Manning? How does this game change his legacy? I don't talk about quarterbacks I until said their careers it doesn't are done. change his legacy. Until their careers are done. How about Brady? Not until his career is done. Well, he put together this list. And Goose? Go for it. I where do, is Peyton Manning I on your list? I do what my boss is telling well, me to Give do us your top ten. One through five. Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, Otto Graham, John Elway, Tom Brady. Six through ten. Roger Staubach. Peyton Manning, number, uh, Peyton Manning, number seven. Terry Bradshaw, Brett Favre, Bobby Lane. A combined 20. Bobby Lane? A combined 26 championships. You ever heard moments. of Sammy Baugh? He's Sammy from Texas, Baugh, too. Sammy Baugh, I put as it with an X after Lane and said, you can put him anywhere on this list. One, three, five, seven, and I won't argue because I can't get a grip historically on him, but the record book can and Red Book said he was the quarterback of his era. Careful, what? careful on Bobby Lane, Ron, because you're presenting <laughs> Ken Stabler. Remember what? Right, the, the modern-day Bobby Lane. No question about that. Bobby, Bobby Lane. And right, now I love Bobby Lane, but you can't put him ahead of Sammy Bob. Uh, the thing about the, my, my top five, each one of them was the first-team quarterback of the decade. Unitas in 60, Montana in 80, Graham in 50, Elway in, in 1990, and in uh, Brady in 2000. Bradshaw was the 1970s quarterback, and he was number eight. It, right. It's all about winning. Right. Uh, uh, this okay, football. now, w- w- oh, go ahead, Rob. Well, the one thing that I, uh, that I mentioned to Goose when he and I were talking about it, and we were talking about Sammy Baugh, uh, which, I, which I think is, is quite important, actually. What did I say to you? He threw away watermelon. Oh, the yeah. guy was throwing a watermelon around. Yeah, uh, the two-handed pass. <laughs> you know, it's the, what he did. Throwing a watermelon was unbelievable. He was so far ahead of his peers. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, one, the guy I had a tough time leaving off was Dan Marino. Dan <laughs> yeah, Marino is the him. best pure passer I've ever seen. But 
there's more to playing quarterback than being just a passer. Well, right. Bruce, how much did championships figure in the Marino decision? I mean, he went to one Super Bowl and he didn't win Th- it. That's the issue. That's right. the issue. Like I said, uh, we're talking to Ray. Quarterbacks and head coaches get paid to win. Right. And, you know, Dan Marino, with all his stats, he only went to the one Super Bowl and didn't win it. And yeah, I and I've that, always thought he was part of the reason because, yeah. you know, he was going to play what, one way. Dropping back, I think Joe Namath. Uh, Dan Marino, those guys, you could watch those guys play all day. Right. You need the game. No question. Ron, how did his top five differ from yours? Uh, a little bit. I had Unitas Montana uh, slinging Sammy Baugh, uh, Elway, and uh, I had Brady fifth. What about Otto Graham? Uh, that was the debate for me between Otto Graham and, and, uh, and Brady. Uh, I wanted Brady because, you know, uh, my garage has already been burned to the ground twice in New England. I didn't really want my house to go down, too, so uh, I said to Brady. Let me add one other thing. I, I thought uh, in between Brady and Manning, I had Roger Staubach. I think he's the most underappreciated quarterback of all time. Right. I agree. He with got you. to the NFL when he was 27. He became a starter when he was 29. And in the, in the next nine seasons, he won four passing titles, went to six Pro Bowls, took his team to, to four Super Bowls, and his winning percentage of 74.6 is the third best of all time behind Graham and Brady, the most underappreciated quarterback of all time. Yeah, that's probably true. I agree with you. And, Ron, yeah. this may come as a surprise to you, but my top five I had. Uh, Brady, one, Brady, 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 and Brady. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, and and I, Russell I, Wilson was six. And Russell Wilson. No, I had, I, I differed from um, the Gooseman. I had Unitas first. I had Graham second. I had Montana and Brady tied at three. And then I had Elway at five, then Staubach, then Manning. So, so you killed Sammy Baugh, too. Well, I don't know what to do with him either. That's, I mean, yeah. I didn't see him. So, But I will say, does Sammy Baugh belong there? He does. I don't know what to do with him, honestly. Right. Um, I, I agree with you 100%. He was so much better than his peers. Peers, right. It's not even he, I mean, he was, nowhere close to, between him and the net, which to me is always kind of an interesting uh, thing to look at, which brings up another name that Goose and I have talked about uh, before, uh, which is an odd one. Uh, but it's Benny Friedman, who was six times better. Uh, I did the study on it. Then the next closest quarterback during his era, six times better. I mean, imagine uh, today somebody being six times better than Peyton or six times better than, than Brady. Yeah. The big difference is Sammy Ball played in Texas. The other guy <laughs> did it. Friedman, no relation to Kinky Friedman, right? <laughs> no relation to Kinky Friedman. The other thing I'll say about Sammy Ball, uh, and I and I will uh, one caveat here that I think that Elway uh, might have been uh, uh, able to do the same. Uh, none of these guys were as good a football player as Sammy Baugh. Right, that's right. Part guy led the league in guy led the league in pass interceptions, led the league in punting, led the league in passing. Right. I'll tell you anything about my top five. And cattle rest. My top five, Unitas was the only one that's called his own place. He could beat you with his mind or his body. Everybody right. else had other plays coming. Well, we'll talk right. more about this and Super Bowl 50 tomorrow when you come back to you live from Moscone Center with the Talk of Fame Network.